Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Clear to Close. I'm your host, Alan Paris, joined by the now, now that we're a little threesome doing this uh, podcast, I'm going to change it up. Joined by the Hermione and Harry Potter, it's my Ronald Weasley, Anthony Ianni and Brian Traeger. Oh, wait, Brian's not with us. Where is Brian? Brian, are you here? No, Brian's not here. Brian is not in this room in downtown Denver. Brian is stuck in traffic right now. Stuck in and, traffic and supposedly, from the note I got, uh, stuck in traffic and forgot his computer along the way. So Brian is running on 3.5 of his all eight <laughs> cylinders, it seems like, this morning. Uh, I, have, but, I have suggested he rides his bike in, but that obviously is not happening. Rain yeah. or no rain. But speaking of which... I got my rear end back on my bicycle, so all of you guys that are listening to the pod know I'm an avid cyclist. I've let this slide over the past couple of months. I have realized that I have definitely lost not only one step, but I've lost probably two, maybe even two and a half steps. I'm really slow and painful at it. I'm in a similar boat right now. I'm not a cyclist. My sport of choice was trail running and this past weekend, so this past Memorial Day weekend, we've been hiking a bit more. Nice. Uh, now that now that the baby is becoming more stable and a little more predictable on when they when she poops and needs to eat, <laughs> and um, I have quickly realized I am ungodly out of shape. Like it is terrifying, actually, because I don't even know how to. It's so bad I don't even know how to make the first move to get back into it. Like the first eight months of childhood has not done Alan's body well and is. Yeah, it's bad. And it gets worse because then when you get to like miners, <laughs> then it starts to like, like things are creaking where they weren't creaking before and you are out pedaling or I do trail run too. And you're out doing that. You're like, wow, that was not a twig that snapped. That sounded like it came from my knee. Yeah, luckily, I guess currently I'm not having the body pains. It's purely the lungs. Like, <laughs> and it, it's just, it's just pure 100% out of shape cardio. Alan, so time time to leave leave your abode and come back to Boulder. Oh man, need a little altitude training, yeah, for sure. Colorado needs you. Yeah. I think we're coming back out in the summer which I'm excited about. So Excellent. I think we're trying to we're actually planning the trip as we speak. Uh, we're going to take a couple weeks and I think we're trying to be in Southwest Colorado. Spend a little time in Telluride, so. Oh, nice. Looking, looking forward to being back in the in the whole country. Love the love Telluride, man. It's hard not to like it down there. I've never been. This, even though we lived in Colorado for a long time, we've never made it to Southwest Colorado. It is gorgeous. But everyone listening to this, Telluride sucks. So <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get to. There's no way to fly there. It's the sunsets are horrible. The mountain yeah. ranges are not as craggy as you think they are. Especially Texans and Californians. You definitely don't want to go to Telluride. No, yeah. no, 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 no. It's 50 is very difficult to drive on. It's dangerous. <laughs> Mountain passes. You don't want to, you don't want to do it. Mountain lions, bears, everything. That's yeah, scary place. Scary place. <laughs> yeah. So AI, yeah, what you're saying is you got back on the bike. However, you're not, you're not planning to do the Mount Evans climb anytime soon. I'm not. You're going to nope, work up I to that again? No, I'm not doing that. I have actually ridden part of the way up there. I have not made it to the summit. I have old lungs, so I have, I feel no need to do that. But I'll do some of the other passes around here. So I've done Loveland and I've done Vail and stuff. And so those are cool. Snow, it snowed overnight last night at my house, so. I feel like it snowed more post-March, really post-April almost, than, mm -hmm. it, than it did most of the winter. 
it felt like it did out here. I mean, winter only occurred out here from January until March 15th. And then yeah. we got we got summer and then it became winter again. I was talking to a wise old sage over the weekend in Golden. And that person told me that we may actually get a monsoon this year here in Colorado. We didn't have one last year. So that would be a good thing. I don't think I've ever been in a Colorado monsoon. It's interesting. I was in New Mexico over the summer last year and I was in a New Mexico monsoon mm. and it was funny speaking of the texans and californians who were visiting santa fe they were all sans raincoats and my wife and i we had all our gear on and nothing stopped us it was awesome we even sat outside and had a cocktail in the rain we didn't care actually i think you know i was in the so usually colorado disappoints in the amount of rain the the, yes. the forecast is always way bigger than it's going to be, especially in Boulder, where it would just change the second it came over the mountains and you just get this like you'd be a donut hole of rain all around you, but nothing in town. But when my friends came and visited one time when we first moved out there and we were going to a CU Buffs game, uh -huh. it was rain in the forecast. And I was telling them, I was like, basically, like, don't worry about it. Like, even though it's a 90 percent chance of rain, it's not going to really rain. Like it hasn't <laughs> ever rained here uh, in our time being here. It always looks like it's going to, and then it just never happens. And it rained, I think, three inches that that 24 hours, and it oh, was yeah. absolutely miserable. So maybe that, I don't know if that's the monsoon, but it might yeah. need to for a few more days, but uh, it, that is the one true rain day that I remember in Colorado. I guess it usually starts at the end of July. So there's always, so we always see Wheels of Soul tour at Red Rock. So that's Tedeschi Trucks and a couple of special guests and, this year it's Los Lobos, which I'm extremely excited about to see them. And so it'll usually start like that last weekend of July and all hell breaks loose rain-wise. So we've actually sat out there in the rain and storms and the light show is very entertaining. So I can yeah. say that. But, yeah, there you go. But yeah, you just dress for it. It's all good. All good. That's what uh, that's what Gore-Tex is for. Yeah, man. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump in the episode. So today we are joined by Jeff Shearer, who's a good friend of yours at Optimal mm -hmm. Blue uh, or Black Knight. Optimal Blue presented by by Black Knight or whatever the new whatever the new company is, but we'll call it Optimal Blue for now. Hey, I, you you've known Jeff for a little while. Uh, maybe you want to speak a little bit to why we were excited to have him on the show. Yeah, I think you know Optimal Blue obviously does a lot of things. They command a lot of data. They everyone there are many companies out there that are doing business with them. And I thought Jeff, I think he has a good feel for what's happening market wise. He's talking to lenders of all stripes, and sizes, types. And so he has a good finger, in, in in my opinion, I think he has a good finger of what people are worried about out there, what they're focused on, what they're positive about, what they're seeing on the horizon. And I think he can give like he can give a good sense of of what's happening out there. And for those folks maybe that are listening to Clear Close that are going, hmm, I wonder if I should hedge or maybe I shouldn't, or you know, should I do arms or or he locks the next wave. You know, I think he can provide a lot of good color and, and some assistances on how people make that decision to try to get from maybe delivering loans on a best efforts basis, moving into mandatory. So I think I think he's a great addition and uh, and he's a good guy, too. So yeah, and he's a Denver guy. So yeah, exactly. Go. He, he yeah, it was man. a good it was a really fun conversation. I think it I think it's timely, like you're saying, of like a lot of lenders are at these crossroads of these decisions they need to make to mm -hmm. capitalize on the market and change their business and and get the most out of 2022 and, and likely the foreseeable future for for a little yeah. while and so 
yeah, I think he he brought great insight into what's really happening, how many lenders are thinking about this, and how they're approaching the manage of risk and return. So, totally um, agree, and and I think it's great for you know folks that are listening now. You know, if you you've got another friend in the industry out there, so link in with him, and you know he's always willing to chat you up a little bit about what's happening out there. So take advantage of it. Absolutely. Well, before we jump in the episode, uh, if you're new to Clear Close, thanks for joining us. After you finish listening to this episode, uh, don't forget to subscribe and get these new Clear to Close episodes in your favorite podcast platform every month. Also, while you're over there, don't forget to shoot us a review. We strive for five-star reviews. So if you feel like we met that criteria, we'd love for you to make our day. Before we jump in, final uh, bit of housekeeping, we need to thank our uh, sponsor and beloved employer that makes all this possible, Maxwell. Maxwell's mortgage optimization platform provides America's local lenders forward-looking technology and solutions for the entire mortgage origination process, from intake of application to the secondary market. Backed by industry expertise, Maxwell's comprehensive offerings help lenders stay ahead of the competition while improving their workflow and margins. Each day, Maxwell empowers over 300 mortgage lenders, banks, and credit unions to serve tens of thousands of home buyers a modern lending experience. Lenders on Maxwell close loans 13 days faster and enable their loan officers to close over 15% more loans per month. To learn more about Maxwell, visit us at www.highmaxwell.com or email us at meetmax and highmaxwell.com. Well, AI, you ready to jump in the episode? I am. Let's rock and roll. All right. Without further ado, Mr. Jeff Shearer. All right, guys, uh, excited for the conversation today. Uh, so we are joined by, to have the pleasure of being joined by uh, Jeff Shearer, who is a team manager at Optimal Blue. Jeff, uh, welcome to Clear to Close. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, we uh, maybe let's start before we dive in the conversation, give a quick little update on the market and what's going on. I think that was the context of, of some of our discussion that we have. So since our last podcast, you know, there's still a little bit of uncertainty in the economic uh, situation. The war in Ukraine is still going on. Maybe let's focus on a few updates of what's changing specifically in the mortgage market. So the latest update that we have um, is a revised forecast from the MBA, which has dropped total originations just a tick. So from 2.6 trillion to 2.5 trillion. So a little less confidence, mostly in new home sales in that space. You know, nothing really has changed from a refinance perspective. Refinance still to, is is a, a low potential in the market with uh, over uh, 90% of current outstanding mortgages have a rate that is uh, less than or equal to 5%. So that market has kind of no real change there. However, maybe the, the biggest trend that has continued to gain momentum is the exploration of new products for lenders. So HELOC is probably one of the most uh, popular terms on the uh, on the industry trade publication websites. ARMS are starting to become popular again. So definitely this shift in looking at what are new products, what are new opportunities for us to continue to drive volume to meet where the market is today. So AI, maybe you can share a yep. little bit about what you're, you've got the, one of the closest pulses in, in Maxwell and what's happening in the market. Uh, maybe you can share a bit of what you've been hearing and seeing so far. Yeah, I mean, still buzzing from New York last week in the secondary. If I saw you, if I hugged you, if I talked to you, it was awesome to see you. It was great to be back. I, and, I feel uh, bad for the people who AI had to hug. I mean, I have, you know, kind of is what it is, right? But <laughs> but it was good to be there. Jeff knows what I'm talking about, right? But, you know, we're still seeing a decrease in overall applications. We still have inflation at 8.3%. We just saw the 
Q2 or Q1 uh, second revision to the GDP number revised down slightly again. So we're in negative territory. And, you know, we were kind of talking about it before here. Two straight quarters of negative growth is not a good thing. Fed 50 basis point bazooka a month ago. So now Fed funds are effectively at 100 basis points or 1%. Products, you know, everyone's kind of looking. Volumes down 30 to 50 percent. The warehouse guys are saying their outstandings are down quite a bit. And, you know, so they're a little nervous. New products. I mean, people were talking about financing double wides again. They're talking about financing single wides again. They're doing HELOCs. They're doing first lien HELOCs. There's just there's a lot of chatter out there about about a lot of different things. How can we how can we do more loans? What can we do to kind of keep the machine rolling? And Jeff, maybe we can kick it over to you. You know, we, AI is probably the closest uh, to what's happening in the market and, and on Maxwell's side in his role. We, in, as a lot of us uh, look at it, you know, kind of 35,000 foot view, you have a really interesting perspective where you're actually working day to day, boots on the ground with the lenders and what the lenders are seeing and feeling. We'd love to hear from you on what's similar to these kind of headlines that you're seeing and hearing and what is maybe different uh, from the lenders you work with. Yeah, I, I tell you that the conversations are strikingly similar uh, across <laughs> the board, and and you know every day the conversations are you know what what else can we do what how can we be better um, at what we do on top of you know what's what's kind of that what are the hottest things out there, and you know a lot of clients will come to me and and look for my advice just on you know they're asking what I'm talking to others about and and it very much is what products. You know what do I need to focus on internally? Yeah, it's it's been uh, you know obviously an interesting start to the year here, and we're we're repositioning ourselves and and expecting the lower volume for the foreseeable future and and trying to you know keep up the profitability. Now this is something that lenders they've probably seen this movie before in a little bit of a different iteration. So when they're asking you these questions and knowing that they've seen that movie before. Are they looking for brand new products that have never existed before, which is obviously scary? Or mm-hmm. are they just kind of looking to see what's popular and what the secondary markets is interested in buying right now that they should be leaning into more out of all of the products? It's interesting. It A lot of it kind of comes from the street, right? From the loan officers. It's what their peers are, what, what they're able to sell. And so it'll come up, you know, the lock and shoes, TBDs. Um, we'll get even some some comments on, you know, is anybody doing the two one buy downs? So it's it's a little bit of flash from the past and bringing some of those products forward again and uh, having to refresh ourselves on, okay, are these, you know, specifically for what we do? Is it a good fit to go into the hedge and into the hedging platform, or is that something, you know, we say, okay, it's 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 something that's out there. Um, look at say, you know, do a best effort lock or, you know, get with some of the non-QM guys and see if that's a, a better fit versus something that we can facilitate the hedge on. You know, Jeff, you just touched on something and we heard quite a bit about it last week in New York at the secondary was the, you know, the TBD for the lock and shop. Maybe expand on that a little bit because back in the dark and distant days when I was doing it, we did them, but they're hard. So what do you, how are they different today or are they different? Yeah, they're they're definitely uh, different in regards to just the analytics behind it. So what we have to pay attention to really is the pull through piece. You don't have an address, right? It is to be determined. 
and it, it depends on how our lenders want to set those up. So they can structure them a few different ways. We don't have to get into the nitty gritty details of it, but you want to protect yourself. Not every one of those is going to pull through like a, like a standard retail loan. So being sure that you, you have the data behind it, you have it modeled, and then you're continually watching it, right? And updating your assumptions because it could change, you know, month to month. And, you know, really we watch it by region as well. Um, so, and it depends on the supply. With that product, and I'm not too familiar with it, lock and shop, you said there's no address, the T to be determined, of course. So that, without an address, you don't know what the loan amount is going to be or the UPB. So that's what you're talking about. And one of the key pieces of data that you need to refresh, do they give you a range? And how do you lock that with yourself and then hedge that if it's, do you, like, is the range 50 grand? Is the range a hundred grand? Like, can you give me a little bit of coaching on that? To AI's point, they're risky, right? And, <laughs> and that's where we'll work with the, with the lender and say, okay, we need to define that upfront, right? That is something where we will all help write out essentially a lock policy with the desk, you know, with the secondary manager and say, this is, you know, how are we going to protect ourselves? And if it is, I've seen a few, you know, 50 grand limits, and then we've tightened it from there. Um, usually if we go lower, we feel a little more comfortable than that. You know, going higher is where there's a little more concern. I don't want a hundred K lock come in and then surprise it's a 200. <laughs> Try to shy away from that. Maybe stupid question, but so you, you said that a lot of this new product demand kind of comes from the loan officers hearing what their peers are doing, or maybe them trying to figure out how they expand their market. So it seems very much, how do we fill volume and, and get close to the volume that we previously had? Where is there the transition of, is this actually going to be profitable? Is this going to be a, a margin-rich product? Can we actually get this sold on the secondary market? How is, who's disseminating what's happening on the street to also figuring out whether this thing has has legs to actually become profitable. Wait a minute. Before you answer that, Jeff, Trigger, now, isn't Alan like the most non-mortgage guy of mortgage or however I want to say it? Isn't he like this? He's always yeah. walking around saying, I don't know anything about the mortgage business. I don't know anything about the mortgage business. Yeah. <laughs> See? Yeah, exactly. AI, he's, thank you. Thank you for pointing that See, out. AI, 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 maybe, my argue, maybe, my, maybe my argument here is that I'm having to ask the question of who's doing that work rather than knowing who's doing that work. Genuinely <laughs> asking. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, Jeff, I apologize after you. Oh, great, great question. I think it, it comes down to who you're working with. You know, if you have a, a hedge advisor, uh, the buck kind of stops at the, you know, at the secondary team to say, does this make sense? Can it be profitable? And, you know, we can pretty much build and, and supply any type of product that the street wants to see, but it really comes down to the hedge, right? The the economics of the deal. And then we also have to look at the volume. You know, how much how much volume is this really going to bring in and how much maintenance, you know, front end, right? You you have to someone has to build these products out. And the lock desk has to understand the difference of them. And maybe they come in and someone else has to touch the lock before it's approved. Right. So there's there's a lot more to it on these specialty products, we'll call them, than just saying, yeah, we can make some money. Let's get it done. You know, I, I think it's also a reflection of loan officers being really good at their jobs is when they're listening to their the potential borrowers or their past customers and they're saying, hey, or even first-time home buyers saying, hey, this environment is different. You're credit worthy. 
we're open to, to lend to anybody. And there are new situations that are coming through. And I don't want to say no to you. Yeah, of course, we got to go through the underwriting process and all that. So when they're getting all of this information from the street, as you call it, and then that trickles its way to the secondary department, and they're talking to you and saying, hey, should we do this? Can we do this? Because it's it's about keeping your doors open and allowing that somebody walks through those doors, whether mm-hmm. digitally or actually, and being able to help them get a mortgage. That's their goal, right? They don't want to say no to anybody. Of course, there are rules and things where you do have to, but I think that is a huge compliment to loan officers in times like this, where they're actually trying to really help the borrowers out there um, in any which way that they are. And they're trying to find the products to service that. And then boom, enter you and the advice that you give. How much of your advice is true? Like, are you working on behalf of these lenders like that's that's the role you play right is you're giving them advice as a con, uh, almost like a consultant to say if it's risky in the secondary markets credit risky or all these different things is that am i describing your role properly oh absolutely nail on the head okay. i mean okay. <laughs> i i absolutely want to provide you know products to the street that's our number one goal but i, I got to back it up and say that we got to protect the company and we got to protect the hedge if if it's feasible, we're we're gonna find a way, right? That is that is what we do, and so we can absolutely appreciate when someone comes to us and says, "Hey, I have this idea. I'd like to try this out." We're gonna go back and forth and, and try to find a way before we absolutely say, "All right, let's let's not do this." You know, we always try to find a solution to the problem. At the end of the day, that that's our goal. Are those solutions typically? Hey, let's work on it over a month and then deploy it, or are you guys able to be fast enough where if a borrower walks in and says, Hey, I, I want this, can they call you up and in a matter of a few days be like, yeah, we can get you this. It depends. Depends on what we're working on um, in terms of say front end setup, right? Wh- where am I going to source pricing? Um, if it's going to come from say a cash window plus some MSR that I'm using maybe from a co-issue, it really depends on the setup and kind of my the client's willingness and, and their knowledge on say our pricing engine, if they're using Optimal Blue to work up a product really quick and roll it out. I've seen construction products rolled out recently. Um, they did it in about a week, you know, and it was like, it was a custom product for each one. They had all the terms. Um, they had, you know, set up to 180 or 360 days and, and they turned it around like that. You know, we, we look at it as work. We end up being kind of the brains of the operation. I can talk you through anything. And then, you know, some of it does, come on the, the client to, to build those out and the system, you can get extremely creative <laughs> and we see it, we see it done a multitude of different ways, but at the end of the day, just trying to get it. Yeah. Get it to the LO. If it makes sense, let's get it done. Now, Jeff, you mentioned determined just for our folks out there that are listening that maybe don't deliver to the GSEs. They're still doing things on a best efforts basis. You mentioned co-issue, maybe a brief definition on what that looks like. Uh, yeah. Co-issue is, selling the loan asset to Fannie, Freddie, Ginny, right? To one of the agencies, but at the same time, parsing off the servicing asset mm-hmm. and going straight to an outlet uh, instead of retaining that, selling that off. So you still face the GSEs on the loan side, uh, but you have the benefit of then selling off the servicing at the same time and receiving cash besides sitting on the servicing. Because the and- GSEs don't own servicing, they're not in that business. You have to 
sell it elsewhere or retain it yourself. Exactly. Yep. And servicing is trading at a pretty rich multiple these days. Are you seeing anything that you're seeing? What are your lenders doing that are presently servicing loans? Are they looking to sell? Or are they continuing to try and build their, their MSR book? What's that look like? Yeah, it's it's definitely shifted, right? The, the 2020, 2021 showed uh, lower lower multiples on the MSR. So we had a huge shift of clients retaining all that servicing. And it, mm-hmm. it very much has flipped. We look at the multiples and it's a component of, of cash flow, right? We have lower volume and we may look to sell loans at a higher value versus retaining that servicing. So we do see clients selling away a good portion of the time unless, and it, it depends, right? We have clients that are banks, credit unions, uh, independents, and it, it also depends on their strategy. There may be clients that say we re-retain all the time, right? That's right. what we do for our client base. So what um, you're saying is, is you're doing, you're going through and you're doing the best acts and you're saying, all right, retain these loans, do not retain these loans, sell these off release and take the money and run. Yep. And we'll, we'll yep. absolutely run a best act so we can, mm-hmm. we'll load, you know, that grid, uh, that dynamic servicing grid that's done loan level and compare it against bulk bid, co-issue, best efforts and the retain, you know, so we can, we can bring all that into one and decide, okay, where, where, what does make sense? And that could right. change week to week for any of our clients, right? They could come to us and, and change that and say, okay, we want to move it. You know, we want to move more to retained versus selling away. So the flexibility there is is certainly in their hands, but we see it, we see it moving, you know, towards selling away to the the rich multiples um, that right. are out there at the moment. Servicing is such a, people call it volatile, which it is, but it's it also <laughs> super, super interesting as an asset too. It is. Right. Well, absolutely, because <laughs> you can't properly hedge it. You Ryan, can, you're on fire right now. AI is agreeing with everything you're saying. So this is stand on accurate today. We usually don't agree on anything. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's one of the fun parts of learning about that side of the business is like if you are deciding whether you're retaining or not. So let's say you have the infrastructure to retain, is that decision of okay, rates are low and they're starting to move. Should we retain more? Should we sell more? And then alternatively, in like right now, rates are relatively high, short-term relatively, not long-term relatively. And are we at the top? Should we sell or should we retain? Are you guys advising them on that decision too? Or are they looking for, I think like Mountain View Financial and those pure MSR valuation firms to give them that advice? Or do you guys play in that game too? Uh, we we don't play in the in the broker world. Um, we provide what we would call retained servicing grids that can be built into the model. We will use the Mountain View, the Phoenix. We'll use their grids in our system. And there's obviously more. I'm not if I'm leaving anyone out. Um, <laughs> and we'll we'll build those in, and we'll we'll compare those to best X. But then there's still the point where clients will will tune it a little bit themselves and say, all right, if it's retains within ten basis points, let let's keep it in house. And it's more of a client play. It's their their borrowers. They want to keep you know they want to keep that relationship. I'm so, interested if you could provide some just a sense of the way what you're experiencing on what is the demand and maybe the request for information and the exploration of lenders add the percentage of lenders looking to add new products now compared to what it was 12 months ago. Is it one out of every 10 lenders or is it 80 percent of lenders or what, what's the scale here of how many lenders are are looking into this? It's everybody. 
and that's that's conversations, especially we I think we mentioned arms a little bit earlier. Pretty much everyone's asked, like, what's you know, what's your color on the arm market? It's still pretty similar to where it was <laughs> as of late. Uh it's it's a tough market. There, there's not a big secondary market. It's very much private or portfolio market at the moment. So hoping to see some some bonds be traded um and see if anyone can kick that off and get it going. But you know, well, we had moment. one yesterday, right? So mm-hmm. You know, one of the dealers pushed out United Wholesale, put out an arm M- MBS. It was a 10-6 arm pool. The, the WAC was interesting, 5.165, which I, I've just kind of like floored by that because I'm going fixed rates today are averaging what? Five and a quarter. As much as I like adjustables, and Brian and I have talked about this before, and we've gone back and forth as much as I love arms, I probably wouldn't do one right now with the way the curve, the slope of the curve is. So what do you guys hard to hedge, right? Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the, the hedging is is a difficult piece. We can do it, but without volume and without scale, yeah. uh, you're definitely going to have some you know, basis in that. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's funny enough, I had that same exact pool pulled up, and that was the first thing I, I keyed in on uh, was the whack. <laughs> Wait a yeah. second. Are we I, talking the same whack? I couldn't see price. Are we yeah. talking weighted average cost of capital? Weighted average coupon. Coupon. So all mm. Different whack. Yeah, different whack. Not the whack pack. See, this Come is on. a whole thing in mortgage that we got to make sure we're okay on because you talk to the, some finance people, yeah. where the average cost of capital, where yep. Alan and I come that, from. That's all I knew is whack. Yeah, and I'm like, that doesn't, it doesn't sound like it applies here in this example. <laughs> why, does, why does that matter? <laughs> so what's your whack? Tell me about your whack. Hey. I can't say what I'm thinking right now. I'll keep that comment to myself. <laughs> so, so what is so weight, weighted average coupon cost? Is that right? Yeah, weighted average coupon. So it's the average coupon of all the individual loans that make up the pool. So, it's, and it's a weighted average of it. And is that so, what you were referencing when you said ten six? Yeah, the ten six. I'm talking about the the type of adjustable. So the ten. So it's it's the old. It used to be called a 10-1 arm, so fixed for 10 years, and then it adjusts into a one-year, right? But now, since we have a new index, the SOFR index, it adjusts every six months. So they've changed it to 10-6. Mm. I Four, never seven, knew six, that. Four, five, six, three, six. Yeah. I always yeah. thought that all arms were, you know, 5-1 arm, 7-1 arm, 10-1 arm, but there's yeah. six now. They changed the index. Yeah. So it's interesting. This is why I have a little bit of a concern, and we kind of kick it around internally here is that you know we have a, a host of people that have never originated an adjustable before to jeff's point they may never have hedged one before you know there are instruments that can help and jeff if i'm getting out over my skis you you shut me up but i mean you've got potential compliance issues you have underwriting issues you have to think about you have loan sale issues you have to think about post-closing there's a lot of things that you have to think about you know so you need to enter with both eyes wide open before you do adjustables my opinion yeah, can we dive a little deeper in that? Jeff would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, just because there might be a demand for it in the market, how lenders should be thinking about their process, appetite for risk, and and maybe some kind of best practices of how you figure out whether this is good for you and, and whether you want to start lending it. Yeah, and I always have to go back and, and start with, and it's not necessarily my world, but, you know, the borrower education around it too. It's It's been some time that these have been popular. Um, I hope that we're, you know, the, the lenders are explaining what their borrowers getting into here. But then from a risk perspective, it's just, it's not a very liquid market. 
for now we're we're pointing people you know really to the best effort rate sheets and saying let you know let the bigger guys take the risk at the moment uh, if it starts to become liquid and we can produce some front end rate sheets you know that have enough premium in them um, we can see some good pricing from, from point. even Fannie Mae's rate sheet I know their mm-hmm. their cash rate sheets a little usually on the lower side but until we see some liquidity we're going to tread cautiously with that product you know, is a hedge product, right? Because at the end of the day, in our hedges, we want fungible products that can be sold to multiple people, uh, multiple investors, and and a good instrument to hedge that risk. Right. And at the end of the day, does the borrower obviously doesn't know if you guys are hedging it or not, or if the lenders are or aren't, but they're looking at the arm for a rate that's relatively lower than what the fixed is. And so as an originator, do you really care? Because they're already probably getting what, maybe two points less, maybe a point, point and a half less by going an arm route than a 30 year fixed. So what's the basis point pickup on doing best X or best efforts to mandatory call it 20 basis points of revenue. I don't know what that relates to in terms of actual point rate, but it can't be that much different. Can it like, does the borrower care if it's you know, let's use easy numbers, 4% versus 4.4 and an eighth when the 30-year fixed is five and a quarter. I think that's part of the problem right now is with, with the yield curve as flat as it is, mm. the Fed increasing short-term rates is that with the, the pool that AI was talking about that was traded yesterday was it went at like a five and an eighth average rate and, and current markets five and a quarter on a 30-year fixed. Five and a quarter, five and three eighths. So there's not a whole lot of pickup to go from a 30 year fix down to a, a 10 six arm. Ah, Those, so the spread yeah. isn't that big. You're picking up an eighth. No, no. That's it. That's it. So AI, in, in a previous episode, we went through an example with one of my buddies. This was mm-hmm. this was before it got up into the fives. Mm-hmm. And, and a loan officer quoted him 30 year fixed at, I think it was four and a half, maybe four and a quarter, or a 10 one arm at three and a quarter. So it was right. a full point different. And that's before we even got into the sixes, just a year with the 10 one. So why? So that market has obviously drastically changed in the last month, maybe 75 days. Could you guys explain why? And that is, I mean, maybe more explain the yield curve and those changes. I'm guessing that's probably the reason. Go ahead, Jeff. I'm going to toss that grenade to you. <laughs> Thanks, AI. You're welcome. There's two large differences in the arm pricing that we see and what my clients are offering. One of them, obviously, is the secondary, and that's what the, the pool was traded at yesterday. I went to the secondary market. What I'm going to guess or assume where, where the price was quoted to your friend was possibly a portfolio-type product. I have a handful of credit unions that have capital, uh, and they're willing to lend you know, and put loans directly into their portfolio, they're, they're able to offer a very strong, very competitive rate that isn't feasible in the secondary market. I'm not going to quote any specifically, but even getting creative to the point where I see some, some 15 one arms going into portfolio. So you're pushing a term where it's, it's near fixed, you know, yeah. 15 years. How, how long is that loan going to hang around anyways? And they're, they're pushing about a, a point below current market. On the 30-year fixed. Yeah, that's interesting. We I had a, you know, for our Maxwell Capital Group, we had 
a credit union reached out to us. They have, to your point, Jeff, they had some liquidity, showed us a rate sheet, and um, everything like conforming fixed and jumbos were priced very similarly. And so it's, you know, you're, you're kind of looking at that going, you know, you scratch your head going, gee, why? And then you do have to remember that, that they are a financial institution. They have, they have deeper pockets and they can absorb that. So it makes sense for them. Let's walk through that real quick. So mm-hmm. an advantage for a bank or a credit union having balance sheet is that they can't do these portfolio loans and retain it. The reason why giving a better rate than the prevailing rate is because opportunity cost on that powder, that, that cash that they have on hand, like they want, they like mortgages, they want to originate them. Maybe they see arbitrage in the servicing, something, or like they have nothing else to do with this cash and they know cash is deteriorating with inflation. So they're like, Hey, let's just go buy some market share and make our, our members happy or our banking customers happy. Is, is it as simple as that? Yeah. And that, that's what we hear. And their, their hedge pipelines, right. have, have dramatically shrunk and their portfolio is, is rocking and rolling, right? They're, they're moving right along. Volume's still down, but they're key. They're, they're staying busy and have the opportunity to use the portfolio to keep volume up. How does an independent mortgage banker compete with that? Exactly what I was going to ask. Like how, how, how should a IMB, does the IMB have to may, maybe react and make bad decisions in order to compete with that? Or are there flexible ways for them to sell to them? Play? So you have to do the heavy work. You have to go find those lenders and you have to see if you can establish a relationship with them and see if you can sell them some loans. Because they have the they have, they have the money, liquidity, right? They have liquidity. Yeah, the only thing, yeah, I mean, you have to think, there's a couple of things you have to think about, in my opinion. I think, you know, do they have the infrastructure to, to actually ingest the loan and buy it properly, right? Because you want to make sure that your borrower is being taken care of. You know, do they have appropriate risk controls in place? Can they effectively price the loans out each day and provide a rate sheet? So, you, you know, do they have a lock desk where you can send those locks in? There's definitely some stuff to think about. And Jeff, maybe maybe you want to talk maybe a little bit about forwards, right? Because maybe forwards are a little easier to do that in versus a loan by loan with maybe a, a lender or financial institution that's a little inexperienced in that regard. I mean, am I off base? You've seen a little bit of that and it's, right, it's another component of what else can I do? And that's, we, I have a few clients looking into that, right? Let's create a $10 million forward and I'll, I'll make sure I can deliver it to you. And I what I'm seeing a difference there is, is it's not your standard 30-year fixed, right? 15-year fixed. It is, it's the arms and jumbos too. So it provides a better hedge in essence to be able to, to commit forward to another institution. But those are, like you said, it's boots on the ground and you're, it's the handshake deals. It's the relationships you have. It's, they're not out there advertising that they're they're open for business because yeah. they they have limited capital as well they can't do an unlimited amount i think that answers you alan is like hey the whole first part of our conversation about new products that's what imbs are doing because if they're getting crushed on on the vanilla loans by their credit unions or banks competitors they've got to go find other things that those banks or credit unions might not be originating and that could be Lock and shop. That could be non-QM. That could yeah. be mm-hmm. a variety of different stuff. So that has extra emphasis to be able to originate that, market it, allow anybody to come through your door to at least talk with you and see if we can help you. Yep. yep. Shout out to my friends in New Jersey, but a lot of the smaller savings institutions throughout the state, 
they buy specific product. Jeff probably knows this. They buy a specific product and they buy it from the IMBs that are located in New Jersey. Like when I used to up and down the Jersey Turnpike, you'd see all the names of like all these little savings and loans and they were all buying loans. Yeah, I'm just trying to think like is so you can find the outlet and, you know, like like you said, Jeff, they're not like they don't have wide open doors. They're open for business and looking to to buy a bunch of loans. But would it be better for an IMB just to focus on differentiation away from that and not even like what is the likelihood of success in finding that partner and it being a, a long term sustainable outlet and being successful in it? Or should they focus on the niches that the bank or credit union aren't doing? Yeah, it, it's always a hard one. We try to push them towards, you know, I don't want to get too many different products. We, we still try to keep a, a, a vanilla set in the hedge, but keep your options open in terms of your, your non-QM investors, your best effort, you know, blocks that you can still take advantage of um, that are those, those niche products. It's really maintaining the relationships, I think, even with the realtors, right? We know we're moving to a purchase market. We're already there. And so it's it turns into more of a relationship piece and what can our company do for you instead of always having, you know, a good LO can still sell a little bit higher rate, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's been probably a lot of LOs that have come in and are very new to this and that's, that's going to be a hard change. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyone that's been in the industry long enough, we know the ups and downs. And, and this is the time where you really got to lean into those relationships and focus on that purchase business. I think that's a good kind of a summary of what you're doing too. And what we've been preaching in the last few episodes of, of leaning into what makes the mortgage industry, the mortgage industry, and that is relationships. You are providing advice to all of your customers on what you're hearing, these products, the risks, all that kind of stuff. You know, loan officers need to lean into their relationships with their real estate agents, with their CPAs, whoever's kind of helping them build a funnel and also the borrowers of two, of course. And so I think the more and more I learn about mortgage in the longer that I'm in this industry and I'm going about 10 years on it is like, it's incredible how much relationships are important and how they really are the lifeblood of this whole industry. It's, it's crazy. Now, I don't think any, I would love for somebody else to bring up another industry that's like this in that regard. I don't know of one, but I'd, I'd love to go and analyze it because there's probably a lot of similarities between the business models. Yeah. I mean, Jeff's been doing it a long time too. I mean, that was in evidence in New York. I mean, people were just tickled to death to be together. So it was definitely good. I mean, Jeff, I mean, you were there, so you probably experienced the same thing. I was great. It was great. It's been it's been years since I've I've been to secondary and just to see everyone. Uh, everyone was excited just to be out and you know, but great conversation. You know, it, it's we're in a tough state in the industry, but everyone's been very upbeat. Mm-hmm. And and always just trying to solve the problems, right? And that that's a good thing. And that's what we love to do here at Optimal Blue. Like you say, I always I pick up more in a given day than my clients, and they probably pick up from me. So it's great. I, I love seeing every aspect of the business. You know, I get to talk everything from obviously front end to underwriting to loan delivery and loan sale. You know, the the capital market side gets to is a spoke for every piece of that. So. I really enjoy it. Great. You know, you're kind of leaning in a in a point in a spot here, which I think is kind of good. So, you know, we've been through some volatile markets. Obviously, we've had a little bit of a bounce here and maybe a well-deserved rally over the past couple of days with rates kind of ticking down a little bit. But 
how are you advising your folks to kind of work to mitigate the volatility? Like, what are they, what are you talking to them about in terms of processes and things like that? As always, when volume slows down a bit, we say, you know, take a step back and let's, let's clean everything up. Let's review mm-hmm. your lock desk policies. Let's review your secondary policies. One of the big things is we saw roll costs really extend widen out here over the last few months. So anyone that, you know, has a lock desk policy and that the hedge set up is it's set up in your own way. So if anyone was charging extension fees of say a basis point a day, right, we've had to revisit that and right. increase that to one and a half, two bips. It very much lines up with what you'd see on a best effort rate sheet. But previously with low roll costs, we could be a little tighter, a little more competitive and, you know, help the yellows. We always have their back. We're just trying to protect, right? The hedge in the company as a whole. Mm -hmm. So really cleaning up processes and then, right? Who are the investors out there? We're continually looking at who's got next, who's buying what? Are we missing anybody? You know, a continued focus on pull through, right? Making sure that the model is set up and we're we're tuned in. So we're not missing anything, right? Every every basis point counts at the moment. Um, It always does. But, you know, obviously hyper-focused on that with volume down and just trying to do, right, do everything right. Um, any of the sloppy processes, just making sure that we're, we're cleaned up. So when, you know, volume does, if it ticks back up, we're in a better place than we were before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we probably have a good amount of folks that are listening to our podcast that maybe today are doing best efforts and they've been bouncing around. Do we move to mandatory? Do we not move to mandatory? What would you tell someone in that position? How would you advise them? The flexibility with the hedge on top of obviously the added gain is huge. We like clients to get into it and essentially brand their own product, right? You can set up your own underwriting structure to be, you know, a fungible loan, right? So we kind of take, you can look across all your best effort sellers, say, all right, you kind of create your own policy. You just get a lot of flexibility with it on top of the added pickup and just the analytics behind it and just the peers that you have. And, you know, if you're working with, uh, say you're working with us at Optimal Blue, you know, we're a partner in it and we come with a lot of knowledge, a ton of experience on the desk and we can be used, you know, to, to bounce ideas off of, you know, that that's really what we're here for in light of, you know, obviously making sure that the hedge is protected and everything's set up correctly. but then. We are eyes and ears on the street from trading the TBAs to selling the loans to selling pools to making contacts in the co-issue market, right? We'll, we'll help with any piece of that in the hope is, is that we, you know, you can have a more streamlined operation, right? Get more loans mm-hmm. through quickly and be more profitable in every loan. Yeah. And if you're competing against the credit unions and the, and the banks, if you're an IMB and you're looking at the forward or as you look at the rest of the year and you're saying, Ooh, I'm not making much right now per loan or nothing. 20 basis points is what you could see at a net pickup by going BE to mandatory. Of course you need to have the volume to make it worthwhile and effective, but call Jeff, call AI. We'll help you out. We'll all help you. <laughs> I think it, 20 basis points is no joke. Yeah, that, that is, that is huge. That can take you from breaking even to making a nice chunk of change. I agree with that. And then definitely, you know, to Jeff's point, streamlining your operation and kind of branding your own product and being able to go out there with with your own 
you know, like we talked about earlier in the pod, your own kind of like lock and shock shop. I think there's a lot of power with that. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. probably a good place to stop. Uh, Jeff, really appreciate you joining us today. I think some of your insight in, in what's happening in the world and boots on the ground and the different perspective was super valuable to a lot of a lender. So appreciate the time and uh, we'll have to get you back on the, on the show soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. That's fun. Jeff, this was awesome. And hey, before we do this, we have to give a big shout out to our producer, Allison, because without her, Brian, Alan, and I would be nothing. Big, that is big, absolutely true. Right? Big, big shout out to Allison Leung, who producer of the show. I think it is safe to define uh, myself, AI, and Brian Traeger as cats, and Allison is the herder. So, um, yeah, I do not envy her it. job at all. Many gratitudes. <laughs> Yeah, thank you too. Thanks for thanks for hopping on. This was a blast. I know I learned a ton. Hopefully, yeah. everybody else you learned a bunch too. And absolutely, we're really excited for the rest of this year and, and what mortgage has for us all in the future. It's great. So Jeff, thanks, thanks guys. Appreciate right, it, guys. Man. Take it easy. All right, that's it. Another episode of Clear to Close is in the books. AI. I thought that was a good one. It was excellent, man. Always enjoyable. And what did I learn from this episode? I learned that Brian Traeger and I can always agree on certain things. Did you catch that? It's just a very, a very small amount of certain things. It is. I'm sure we'll be back at it next yeah, time. I, I kind of, you know, it was, it was nice to see for a little bit, a little bit of agreement. Uh, <laughs> however, let's not make it a regular thing. Yeah, it's no fun. Wait till the next one that we're cooking. Yeah, we actually, we actually got some user feedback on what people like about clear clothes and what they would like to to improve. And they want the fighting to to intensify between. They do? All right, we can do that. Brian, Brian and I can do that. Yep. Yeah. We could definitely cool. do that. All right, cool. Well, as we said as well, uh, we need to give thanks to our producer, uh, Allison Leung, who makes all of clear to clothes possible. And... and... We also need to thank Allison's mom. I don't know Allison's mom's name, but thank you, Allison's mom. Yes. Thank you, Allison's mom. Uh, and I, I guess I'll go ahead and show my mom as well. I think she listens to these periodically. So uh, please do. So thank you, Mrs. Paris. Uh, thank well, you. Bef- b- before we jump, uh, again, don't forget to subscribe and shoot us over a review. And we also have to thank our sponsor that makes all this possible, Maxwell. Uh, to learn more about Maxwell, visit us at www.highmaxwell.com or email us at meetmax.com. Well, until the next episode, happy lending, right. everybody. Yep. See ya.